Hi there, I'm Chris Tashu. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone. And we're the hosts of Dreams for Sale. I want the month, want the month, want the month. I'll just drop all the H's. So far off to a terrible start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Today has been great as it is. On uh, one, oh, Jesus. Okay. We are the hosts of Dreams for Sale. A once. Uh, Leave it all in. We are the hosts of Dreams for Sale. A once a month look at the Twilight Zone 1985, otherwise known as the best version of the show that isn't the original, though Father Malone would say the 2000s is pretty good, but you know. The, no, that's the best. Oh, Forrest, Forrest Whitaker. Before, Forrest Whitaker, oh my God. He just makes it. He just makes it. That guy's effortless. <laughs> I mean, he is, but he's not in the <laughs> show. He actually is, yeah. <laughs> but, but on this episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at the third and fourth episodes of the third season of the show, otherwise known as the Downhill Run, that is the finale of this show, the third season. We'll be taking a look at two episodes, The Crossing and The Hunters. There dwells within this parish a modern-day apostle and master builder who lists among his tools of trade a Bible, a rosary, and a calculator. His name, Father Mark Cassidy, age 42. A fair and noble man who's about to discover one of his accounts is still open. That account is labeled guilt, and it's concealed in a ledger stored in the Twilight Zone. So both of these episodes are directed by Paul Lynch, the Crossing is written by Ralph Phillips. It stars Ted Shackelford as a priest, a father who something I, something happened. Do we know? Look, these episodes that we're talking about, this episode and the next episode, I think we're going to have a lot of questions about what was going on in these episodes because all of a sudden the show decided that we don't need to know what's going on anymore, at least not in a way that any of us could talk about. So I guess... This father is haunted by something that happened to him in his past, and that haunting is manifesting itself in his daily life, right? Yes. Sure. It seems so weird, because if if the stuff happened already, you would think he would be like, why is this happening again? Because he just seems so surprised when it happens, Right. this car being on fire. But then he's in the confessional confessing to anybody. Is there anybody in the other booth talking about how he couldn't have saved her? Why was I the one that was thrown from the car? Uh, but then at the end, she's alive and he's dead. Did yeah. God was she alive? Defy the yeah. situation. She's the one that put the flower on the casket. I just assume that she is like a, a vision. A ghost. A yeah. Ghost. Oh, a ghoulie. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? This this episode just um, it exists in this weird realm of nothing matters. There are no rules and we'll do whatever we want. Yeah. I just wrote down. This is one of the worst I've seen at all. Um, like there are absolutely no stakes. There's no drama. It's just a slow progression to figure out this thing that already happened that the lead character already knows about. Like, what is the point of this? And then he does and, and what then- at the end? And it, yeah, and his solution is to like go get in the ghost car with her and then take her place, I assume, which, by the way, for Catholics, that's suicide. So Father Mark is burning in hell. <laughs> but it's not suicide because he didn't drive the car. But if he was a father, <laughs> Malone, no, he knew what? it was going to happen. No, but he wasn't driving the car, dude. That's, he, he, that, knew, that's like, he knew that car you was have crash to actively and kill in. yourself to go to hell. No, right? that's not. That's like saying, well, I didn't <laughs> kill myself. It was the ground after I stepped off that ledge. 
Well, I just assume like, that's how all Catholics justify it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if he was black, he could have just gotten shot by a policeman. Yeah, <laughs> he could have waved to a cop. Right. <laughs> yeah. It is. Was he married to this woman? Did, was he a priest <laughs> at the time? And like, it looked that way from the photos. Did hey, hey, Mike? Yeah. I'm not sure we could answer that question either. <laughs> I mean, the episode gives us. It, it is so strange to me. This is a 23 minute episode. It gives us nothing. Yeah. Like it is, it is it takes shocking. So long to get there. Well, it's yeah. Just... Well, those are the best kinds of stories. They give you nothing, and they take forever to get there. Oh my god! Yeah, it must I be don't tough care for Kelly about the hospital wing. <laughs> <laughs> we spend a lot of time on fundraising in this episode. Yeah, well, that's no important. That's important. That's what people who watch Twilight Zone are into: fundraising. Yeah, and is it like? I guess we're supposed to believe that, like he. Uh, like feels so guilty about his friend dying that that's what's driving him and, you know, forcing him on. But like, it doesn't seem like there's anything really deleterious going on other than he's remembering something that already happened. Yeah. Comment on that, Chris. Well, I don't know what, what I don't understand is what's the point of showing us something that's already happened when it happens again at the end. And it's not given any context as to why it happened the first time, who it happened to the first time and why the father is seemingly on the hook for what happened. That's what yeah. I don't understand. He why? got thrown from the car, right? That's that's right. what we're supposed to. So I, I why guess do, I mean, is does, the survivor's guilt is the idea here. And 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 if that's the case, if this is an examination of survivor's guilt, the the uh, the way to cure that is to kill yourself. I guess. According to the Twilight Zone, he's doing good deeds, building the raising two million dollars to build this hospital wing. But he just feel so guilty about this thing in his past. And it's just like, maybe you should have some therapy. I, I personally think that this is the obvious clear prequel to Fraggle Rock because you have Gerard Parks who plays Monsignor Peralt. So what happens is Ted Shackelford kills himself. He retires from the Catholicism and he goes and opens a store, changes his name to doc. And then you have Fraggle Rock. Oh, he buys a dog. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go you. I'll go you one better. He loses his mind over the sudden disappearance of Father Mark, who ends up dead, and the reappearance of a woman from years ago, and then imagines Fraggle Rock happening in the in his shop. But does he ever actually laugh the cares away, or does he just imagine that he's doing it? Is this Marjorie the trash heap? Does she live in his yard? Oh yeah, the trash. No, no I don't think so because they have to go through Fraggle Rock and then they end up in some outside. <laughs> some other area okay i just want to point out that the fact that the three of us grown-ass adults are talking about fraggle rock as seriously as we are i think is much more important than anything that this episode does yeah you know i, I tried to uh think of a way that this episode was a success and the only way i could figure is if the creators of the of this episode were attempting to make me feel like I was actually in the Twilight Zone, that this is the best that the Twilight Zone had to offer, then yeehaw, you guys win. Otherwise, what in the hell? It's like, it's even more offensive than the sort of overtly maudlin and schmaltzy episodes we've gotten before, because at least those had something to say. I, I, I don't know what this was about. Also, she's, so ghosty Kelly comes back from the dead at the end, and then it must be tough to get a driver's license after you've been legally pronounced dead, right? And then you just reappear. So is so I, I wonder between the three of us, since our opinions are kind of the only ones that matter at this point, except for mine, obviously. Um, I am curious, where do we come down on this episode? Is she a ghost? Does it matter? 
has the episode given us enough information to make that assessment? Because honestly, I think I fall into the, the latter. I don't know because the episode doesn't even know what the fuck it's going for. It feels like to me that history was undone and now he's the one that died. But then that, again, it undoes all of the shit that he was working on, the raising of all that money for this hospital wing. It's just like, okay, you're undoing all of your good deeds because you feel so guilty about this. And now you're, like you said, committing suicide by replacing yourself with, you know, and now she's alive. Okay. That's what it feels like to me is that he is rewriting history. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way it makes any sense at all. If this is, we've now traveled back in time to the point of the accident and then this is his funeral and she did not die because otherwise it's a clusterfuck of a fucking episode. It's a clusterfuck anyway, but at least it uh, makes more sense with that ending. And and for me, the thing I ultimately don't get is why do you want to have it both ways at the end? Why can't you just make a determination on which one it is? Because honestly, it doesn't affect the story. Actually, it would probably make if you if they came down on either side, it would probably have to make the story make even less sense, frankly, because then they are taking a side. So with their kind of ambiguous interpretation or ambiguous presentation here, it makes very little sense, but it could make even less sense if she was a ghost or she wasn't. So we're just left here kind of wondering. I don't even know what the story was. What was the point? If it's a story about survivor's guilt, that's nope. Yeah, I I don't kill yourself, survivor. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, we're bringing more to this story than the story brought to us. Like, you know, yeah. That's because we actually can understand that it's not a good story. What's strange to me is how anyone who worked on this, filmed it, did anything else, said, yes, this is a full story, because I don't think they did. Approved. At at this, yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, and I thought of that too, like, there has to be like a writer's room of some kind here, and J. Michael Straczynski is the story editor, and he had worked in the previous two seasons, at least as sort of a junior writer. So somebody had to come up and pitch this idea to him. And he said, yes, go do that. And then they turned in this script and they went, yes. And then they mounted a whole production. At what point does anyone go, does, what does this mean? Uh-huh. I don't know. It, it's crazy when m- mediocrity sort of uh, gets funneled through the system to me. I don't know. Well, and it's crazy that this was on, you know, an actual television station and actual yeah. actors are involved. Well, I want to say too, that this, it looks so fucking cheap. Just, oh yeah. It's like the cheapest looking episode of the show we've seen. Oh, it's bizarre. Yeah. And the crazy thing about that is it's like these they're like doing location filming. Like that's right. you know, they were in some house and then they were outside. And for some reason, like earlier episodes, which I've you know called out because it's so set bound, like it, it at least they were enlivened in some way. Now I actually wanted to say this about the next episode, but it's true with this. Uh, the same guy uh not directed, but um uh, edited this episode and the, the the next episode we're going to talk about the pace is so crazily glacial yeah. like in between things just nothing is happening the camera takes forever it's just like on and on and on and the other thing i noticed and this is true of like this entire season it seems unless people are talking we have sound or if like some event has happened a crash or something like that we have sound otherwise it's dead silent yeah. like not even incidental music. It's just like, it feels weird. It feels like a, like a community play or something. Yeah. It it reminded me of like 
stuff I would have seen on the early days of Nickelodeon when they couldn't afford programming and they just bought like weird shit from England. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> this. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm done. This feels like the twi- this feels like the Twilight Zone's response to the seventh season of Tales from the Crypt. Let's just spin our wheels because nobody cares anyways. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, we ran into it in Tales from the Crypt. They literally just shit out a seventh season and said, you dumb fans will just eat it up because you're stupid. And that's what this feels like. It's like this. You will eat this up because we think you're dumb. And it's like, no, the Twilight Zone, the Twilight Zone brand holds too much importance to be treated like this. It really does. It's an important part of like American pop culture, especially when it comes to television and the way television anthologies are told now. And the fact that this is the best you can put forward on a show with the pedigree of the Twilight Zone is really disappointing for a number of reasons. Uh, Namely, the fact that this is the same show that had Shatterday as its first episode. Like, wow. Wow. So (laughs) so speaking of that, let's talk about the next episode, The Hunters. Oh, um, I think you mean Still Life from season one. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. A beautiful summer day, full of adventure for a young boy. On the surface, a field like any other soon to be covered with neatly arranged family homes. But today, this curious boy is about to discover a terrifying secret that could only be shared within the confines of the Twilight Zone. Oh, boy, isn't that the case? Oh, well, instead of a camera, we found these cave paintings. And we're going to take forever to get to anything. Again, it just takes Forever. so long for them to get to things. Uh, I was, I mean, what a waste of Louise Fletcher, you know? I was under the impression that when that kid fell down into that hole, all of a sudden Mulder and Scully were going to look down there and be like, is that where the aliens are? That's what it looked like. That is straight up that entire set looked like a scaled down version of the X-Files fight the future set where the where Lucas Black falls into that alien pit. And yet this episode, what does it do? Like you mentioned, Mike, nothing, absolutely nothing. It does so little that it's a five minute episode stretched out to 20 minutes. It's, it's butt fucking insane. I, my tolerance with this show all of a sudden has skyrocketed into nowhere because I just, I don't want this show to go the way that it's going and watching it do it is so disappointing. Like just massively disappointing. The frightening thing about this particular season is um i you know i want to kind of let the entire series off the hook and say well the third season was just a cash grab and uh thrown together but the fact remains that they cut season two in half and shuffled half of those episodes into this season so that they would have a season to sort of get get us to syndication so uh, a good number of these we were going to get as legitimate shot in the u.s with american talent uh instead of this uh, cheap canadian knockoff now I do want to see some good things in this episode. Uh, first and foremost, it's uh, Leslie Carlson is Jim, the sort of uh, the real estate developer guy right. who was in Black Christmas as the the operator trying to figure out where in the house or where the calls are coming from. And then he was in a Christmas story. He was trying to sell them the tree. I like that guy. So I was happy to see him. Uh, the other thing is, I didn't think in my lifetime I would ever see Louise Fletcher 
stabbed to death with a caveman spear. So <laughs> there's that. Well, you've seen it now, haven't you? <laughs> That's what you get for causing Billy Babbitt to commit suicide. <laughs> so, About time. Uh, so I didn't under. Okay, so uh, explain to me like I'm five exactly what happened. They find a cave underground with cave paintings and the cave paintings are somehow living cavemen who come to life when no one is around. No. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that particular spot um, was a bridge, like a time machine type portal between their world and ours. And the cave paintings were changing because they were doing different things now, because now there was this new, uh, a time that they were sort of running into. That's what I got. And I got that from the very um, uh, uh, well thought out and delivered line. This looks like a spiritual doorway, which is naturally the first thing anyone would think when they look at a, you know, several million year old cave painting. I think it's a doorway. I'm glad, Mike, that you and I both misinterpreted the episode together, because I'm glad to know that it wasn't just me who had no idea what the fuck was going on. Yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I was kind of more under the impression that it was that they could escape from the paintings and do their mischief when they needed to. And then it kind of reminded me of like, what was that? The the mischief map where you could see like where <laughs> Professor yeah. McGonagall and stuff Oh, mischief were. managed. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Oh, what is that called? The Marauder's um, Map. Marauder's Map. Yeah. They say you have an awfully big nose. Isn't that what, isn't that what the thing says at one point? Come on. You guys uh, have seen Harry Potter. That's what he I says. It's like, that. Professor Snape, it says that you have an awfully big nose. And he's like, <laughs> and then David Thewlis comes in. He's like, what's up, guys? I'm in this movie. Remember? No. OK, well, Harry Potter's dumb. So never mind. <laughs> I like the first two. Yeah, well, the ones that people didn't like. <laughs> I like the second one a lot. Yeah, a and lot. When a it lot. came to the third one, I was just like, wow, this kind of sucks it's awfully dark for a children's film (laughs) (laughs) it's what's sad about this episode is twofold a obviously you know louise fletcher great actress wasted criminally wasted other than taking a spear through the back which to me father malone is similar to when david warner had a dummy thrown at him on a stairwell it's like i never thought i would see this but yet here we are someone chucking oh yeah so mike there's in an episode of tales from the crypt david warner is walking up a staircase a rather narrow pretty steep staircase and someone just takes a dummy body and fucking hurls it at him and he eats shit backwards down the stairs it is glorious this is the equivalent of that. Unfortunately, similarly to that episode, Louise Fletcher is wasted here. And the other thing is, again, it's another 23-minute episode that does nothing. Like, the story that it's telling could have taken five minutes. We look back at, like, the, the earlier two seasons when they would do, like, a 10 or 15-minute, like, quick snippet, sometimes only eight minutes. And and I look back at those and go, God, I, I could have dealt with a half hour of that. Yeah. yeah. Like, this, these are just, like, the one note punchlines it's like there's nothing to them it's just like obviously whoever wrote this was obsessed with those cave paintings in france and was like i want to write a story about that like the cave paintings come to life like okay cool and where do we could have been cool it could have been cool absolutely but you know what the fucking the last one the priest one could have been cool if they had anything at all to say so yeah like that's a harder uphill battle than this one this one you could add like all sorts of wacky shit going on like they just i think in the last one if they had in any way touched on the stuff that we brought up, like the 
sort of moral quandary about this priest maybe committing suicide. Like that could have been something, but here it's just, you know, flight of fancy. Like I've always, when I was a kid, I saw cave paintings and I always wanted them to come to life. I'll write that. <laughs> That's It's very, it's very strange. It, it's, we've gone from the show taking a simple idea and really blowing it up into something exciting and grand. And now the show has gone for, has gone to taking a, an interesting idea and just like trying to do nothing else, but use the idea as the entire jumping point. And it's like, you guys have to do more than just punch us in the head with the idea over and over again. So I'm telling us about the cave paintings. Tell us something more, please. Anything. And literally, literally anything, anything would suffice other than nothing. It's very strange. I don't, I, you know, I, I'm disappointed by where the show is going. I am. It's weird that the yeah. third season is taking this big of a, just a nosedive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, not that unusual for a television series, but uh, certainly when you have something as varied as an anthology series, like there ought to be some highlights. You would think. Not Maybe they're coming time. up. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Keep crossing them. Oh. Cut back to Father Malone five years later and his fingers are crossed and he's a skeleton. Just, uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting. Yeah, but the bones are still. Yeah, the still, bones are still crossed. Still crossed. Still waiting. We done with this one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So with these two episodes out of the way, on the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we'll be taking a look at the fifth and sixth episodes of the third season. Those two episodes are aptly titled Dream Me a Life and Memories. So until then, oh yeah, it's going to be good. Dream me a good episode. Uh, until then, where can people find you, Father Malone, when you're not here? Um, you can find me at fathermalone.com. Uh, I've got links to all my stuff there, but I do have a half hour audio drama that I put out uh, basically once a month called uh, Dark Destinations. Um, you can check me out there. And well, that's it. According to someone that I pointed at your podcast on the internet, they said, I loved the first episode, couldn't get into anything else. My response was, sorry? About my thing? Yeah, I pump your show when I can, man. Come on. It's not our job. You know what? Yeah, fuck that person. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you said it, not me. So there you go. Yeah. Don't listen anymore. I don't I don't want you. I don't want your downloads. (laughs) (laughs) Take it back. Your one. Take your one back. Here you go. Yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> what about you, Mike White? What's going on at the Projection Booth podcast? Well, as I have no idea when this episode is coming out, we are covering movies every week. We talk <laughs> about movies, and that's what we do. And you can hear us talk about movies at projectionboothpodcast.com. I really set you up for failure with that one, huh? It's okay. That's my I mean, bad. Who knows what <laughs> we're going to be? Who knows when this will come out? Feels like we're... <laughs> like a year and a half ahead right now. I feel like we might be rather far ahead. I do not, but this may be coming out at Christmas time. So, you know, I don't know. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Christmas Claus. I do the culture cast. It's where I talk about movies once a week. That's it. As for this podcast, Dreams for Sale, Twilight Zone 85 on the internet, Dreams for Sale on Twitter. And big thanks as always to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the intro outro music for the podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.